Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Glory to Jesus Christ. So, like most people, I go through times where I get health conscious, enough to commit to a few months of going to the gym. For most of my teenage life, I never really set foot in the gym, except for maybe the random high school gym class. But after I graduated to move overseas, I found myself in a culture that lived a bit healthier than America's at the time. There wasn't as much fast food, 7-Elevens didn't exist. You couldn't go down the street and say, what do I want today? Taco Bell, McDonald's, Burger King, Arby's, the hybrid of Baskin Robbins and A&W. I don't know what they even serve there. Cinnabon, I, we all know what they serve there. They didn't have that. So I was healthier. <laughs> and I had a friend named George who was, uh, he was an athlete and he was always like in, in like great shape. And so the one day George said to me, Mike, let's, why don't you come work out with me? And I was like, yeah, maybe I should, because I, mean, I wasn't as big as I am now, but I wasn't in great shape. So I said, sure, George, I'll go with you to the gym. So George took me to the gym for my first like, real, real workout beyond you know, the running and stuff that I had done at the time. So he had this, well, not a crazy routine, right? He had this routine where... Do you know what failure is when you lift weights? When you lift weights, failure is that moment where you can't squeeze out another rep, where you're at the very limits of your strength and you try to squeeze out one last one and you're like, uh, but you have to have a spotter because you don't want to you know, drop the weights or break your arm or something like that. So that's what George would do. He would, he would work out to failure every single set. So he would go, we, we did, I did the first couple of sets to failure and I'm feeling really good about myself. And I'm like, all right, this is... I can do this. This is, this is great. This is not a problem. I've got this. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, after, after a few of these, I, I got up off the bench, and all of a sudden, my vision went blurry, and I got super dizzy like this, and I was able to kind of, there's like a, a, a bench over here, I was able to just kind of stumble over there without falling, and then sit on it, and then just kind of lay back on it. And I was I felt nauseous, I was dizzy, I couldn't really see. It, it was a very weird experience. And so somebody uh, brought me a, a, a sports drink and I drank that and I started to feel a little bit better. What had happened was I, had, I hadn't eaten too much that morning. I didn't eat a lot and I didn't probably eat the right thing. So that caused me to have low blood sugar. But to top it off, I didn't have endurance. I didn't have enough endurance because my body wasn't prepared for this. Because when you work out, you are breaking down your muscles. You're, you're destroying your muscles. So what happens is your body begins to repair those muscles. And as your body repairs those muscles, you become stronger. Endurance. And in the reading from St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, we see something mentioned about endurance in the Christian life and just how important and formative it is for us. But before we get there, we have to talk about 
uh, the very beginning of the chapter of, of Romans chapter 5. We saw two major things in the beginning of that reading. It says that the first is that we have been justified by faith, and through that justification, it says we have peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important to note here that there's generally two readings, right? There's a whole bunch of different textual manuscripts. I'm not going to bore you with textual criticism because it can get really boring. So generally, there's two major readings of this text in the manuscripts that we have for the New Testament. The one says, we have peace with God. So if it says we have peace with God, that means that peace is a settled thing. We have it. The other reading says, since we are justified by faith, let us have peace with God. As if it's something that we are called to enter into that we don't already have at present. And I think the difference between this, it's the same word, I think the difference is one letter. And based on the reading, we have both. That we have peace, or the call to let us then have peace with God. The early Christian commentator named Orangen, he noted here that peace reigns when no one is hostile. So regardless of what, which reading that you take, we have peace or we're called to enter into that peace. Peace reigns when hostility is over, right? We know from scripture that's what sin is. It turns, it has actually already turned us hostile into enemies of God and to enemies of one another. To have peace with God or the call to having peace with God means that we have passed from that state of hostility to the state of right relationship. Hostility has ceased through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes human in order to take that hostility upon himself on the cross and to cancel the record of debt of sin against us. Sin makes us enemies and Christ takes away what made us enemies and we become family. We become family. And we see this beautifully illustrated in the reading that we had uh, with Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman who church tradition has named as Saint Fotini, who became, I think, the first evangelist in the New Testament, right before Jesus even commissions the apostles. He commissions a Samaritan woman, someone that the Jews would never have even turned their, their, their another, give another look to, right, except to turn their nose down at. He sits with her, and then he sends her forth after their encounter as the first evangelist. And it's a beautiful thing, too, because St. Fotini, she goes into the town and tells everybody, this is, the, this is the Christ we've been waiting for. He told me everything there was to know about me and all the things that I had done. He, this is him. He's here. The entire town comes out, and it says that they asked him to stay with them for two days. A Jew staying in town with a group of Samaritans for two days. We don't see it in the story, right? But his disciples must have been scandalized. That was just not done those days because the Samaritans had their own Torah. They had their own way of worshiping God. They had their own place of worship. They had their own site. Well, this is where God is really to be worshiped. And this is the Torah that we're actually really supposed to use. And that was a source of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were also the descendants of the, the tribes of Israel that had been taken away by the Assyrians. Eventually, their, aunt, their, their descendants came back, intermarried, and came back to those different parts of the land, but their worship had turned away from, from Yahweh. So there's tension, right? 
But Jesus goes and he cuts right through that. And notice, right, it wasn't just, well, this is great. Your religion can eventually lead you to God. Jesus says salvation is of the Jews. We, knew, we know who we worship. And who we worship is, is the God you're supposed to be worshiping. And we worship this God in the right way. But the day is coming when God will seek worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we know that all correct worship, right, is drawn towards Christ, right? We believe as Christians, you know, great saints of the past like Justin Martyr talked about the seed of the word that isn't found in other religions, in that all other religions have a degree of truth to it, a grain of truth to it, in order to lead us ultimately to our redemption in Jesus Christ. So we see how Jesus comes and that hostility, right, between Jews and, 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 and Gentiles Right here, we see that illustrated. He does that away with. I think the second major thing to note here is that to be justified is to become partakers of the righteousness of God that is given to us by grace through faith. Faith opens the door and grace helps us walk in. And we rejoice by grace in the hope of the glory of God. St. John Chrysostom commenting on this said, What grace is it to which we now have access? It is being counted worthy of the knowledge of God, being forced to abandon error, coming to the knowledge of the truth, obtaining all the blessings which come through baptism. For the reason he brought us near in the first place was that we might receive this. For we were not reconciled merely in order to receive forgiveness of sins. We were meant to receive countless additional blessings as well. This is beautiful stuff here, right? He's saying, we have not been reconciled to God. We don't have peace with God in order just to have our sins forgiven. God wanted to bless us even more than that. It's not just about having your sins forgiven and that's it. That's great. It's everything else that we have through being united to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful, wonderful stuff beautiful stuff. And then he takes a, 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 a 180. And then he talks about rejoicing in sufferings. Yay, we've been justified. Let us have peace with God. We have obtained access by faith into grace. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, also, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now we have to be a little careful here. It's easy for somebody like me, and I'm going to own this from the beginning, it's easy for somebody like me to stand up here and read about suffering and to preach about suffering from a theoretical standpoint. But there are people who are maybe watching this or who will listen to this on podcasts later on who have suffered far more than I have ever suffered in my entire life. And there may be people here, sitting here, who may have suffered far more than I've suffered in my entire life. Right? Probably my greatest area, that the, the, the biggest thing that I have ever suffered in my life was a horrible accident when I was eight years old. And I still have a scar from it if you come stand close to me. Well, not too close, because we're social distancing, right? But if you come stand close enough to me, and you cover your mouth, you can come to me, and you can see I have a big scar. It runs from here, and it kind of runs right up there. When I was eight years old, we were on vacation, 
And we were fortunate enough to be able to go to Europe. My dad had been invited to do some preaching meetings and some training for churches and building up churches and, and training people. And so we were in one country and we all crammed, like there were five of us. And you, my dad's been here. You see my dad, he's not a short guy. He's a big guy like me. And we crammed in this little car and we drove through uh, Holland and, and then Europe and Germany and all these places and we found ourselves in a little town in Norway called Bergen. Bergen, a town which will live in infamy. So I was riding a bicycle um, with the people we were staying with. They had a kid my age. And so we were riding the bicycles and the bicycle I was on was too big for me. We're going up and down the street. At the end of the street, I pretend like the steps of the chancel here is like the end of the street. It was like this and then it was a really deep, I like to joke and say it was a fjord, but it wasn't a fjord, it was a really deep ditch. And so I looked down and it went, it was really steep and there were a lot of rocks and it was really, really deep. And so I remember looking over it like this and all of a sudden the bike just went whoop and I went down this ravine. And I'll never forget, I can still see it when I close my eyes, holding onto the handlebars, going down the hill, being tossed around by the rocks and then seeing this massive rock coming up and I knew I had enough presence of mind to know if I like tried to like get off the bike, I would hurt myself really badly. So I'm just holding on for dear life. Either that or I was just in shock. I don't know. I think maybe more I was just in shock. I probably didn't have the presence of mind to think, hmm, what should I do in this situation? Should I hold on? I was just holding on to not die, right? And I ramped off this rock and uh, I left the bike behind and I'll never, I just, I saw another rock coming right up to my face and then blackness, right? I woke up hopefully pretty quick. The kids saw me go over, ran and got his, my parents. So they, they were running up and as they're running up to the, the edge of the street, I get up somehow awake. And I can't see because, you know, lots of blood and stuff. So I trudge up the hill and they meet me and they, they, they're watching me and they call the ambulance and they take me to the hospital and they give me stitches. It was a horrible, horrible experience. A horrible experience. A lot of pain. I had to have surgery when we got back to the States to repair a skull fracture. It was a horrible time of suffering for me. I was eight years old. But some of you might have a different experience. For some of you, suffering might be something that's ongoing and chronic and painful. So before we talk about suffering, I just wanted to say from the beginning that it's easy to talk about it. It's another thing to actually live through it and to experience it as a constant. And I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis, right, when he, he wrote his, this book based on some talks that he did called The Problem of Pain, and he analyzed the problem of pain and, and bad things happening to good people, and he wrote very eloquently about it. But then something happened to him. He got married, and his wife was sick, and she passed away. And right after she passed away, he wrote a tiny little book, probably about this thick, called A Grief Observed. And this book was very different. It was very raw and it was very real. And in it, he said things, I felt like when I was praying that there was a door being slammed into the, the, to my face when I tried to approach the Lord in prayer. So I, I just, <laughs> when we talk about suffering, we have to understand that this is not just something that we talk about in general or in theory, but it's something that people experience as part of their day-to-day -day lives. 
So, with all of that in mind, I, w- I was reminded a little bit of what we read and, and what I spoke about on Wednesday from the book of Jeremiah about how Jeremiah was one of the only pro- was the only prophet who was telling the pro- the king and the people what God was actually saying, and that there were other prophets and people who were telling the king and the ruling class and the other religious leaders what they wanted to hear. And I think we live in a similar day and time, brothers and sisters, is that it's easier to tell people, hey, you know what, look, bad things are going to happen. And the most famous preacher in America will say this. Bad things are going to happen to you. That's life. But if you say the right thing, and if you just have a good attitude, then God's going to definitely give you the victory. And you're going to come through, and you're going to be stronger and better. But brothers and sisters, that's not always true. That's not always true. We see this in the epistles of St. Paul. And we have this contrast here in Romans about rejoicing in the hope of glory and rejoicing in our sufferings, or tribulations as some translations put it. Notice what, we're to, what we are to do in both. In hope, rejoice in our hope, and rejoice in our sufferings. Right? This is more than having a good attitude and saying the right things to get God to get us out of the situation. This is the orientation of the heart that comes from and flows from and is given to us from a heart that has been justified by faith, from a heart that has been given peace with God, that, from a heart that has answered that call to have peace with God. St. Paul writes here that suffering has a purpose, that it produces endurance in, within us, which produces character, which produces hope. And when we think about suffering, when we read the Bible, who, who do we think of right away? Well, besides Job, right? Job is always the first one. But we, we think of Christ. And we see later in chapter 5 to the Romans, St. Paul tells them that Christ, the righteous one, died for the unrighteous, for the ungodly, through shedding his blood. And this is the mark of God's love for them, that Christ suffered for them. In a world that talks about love, and in a religion like ours that talks about love in very vague, generic, feel-goody terms, Scripture tells us this is love. Christ died for you. In this is love. Christ died for you. That is love. Not feel-goodisms, not I'm supposed to be nice to everybody, which you should, by the way. Love is demonstrated through Christ's crucifixion, his self-giving of himself, and our call to answer that. And sometimes when we answer that call to give of ourselves as Christ gave himself for us, that can hurt, that can cause us suffering. Like I'm thinking about in the ancient world with the early Christians, they lived in such a countercultural way that they brought suffering upon themselves, not because they were trying to be jerks, not because they were trying to make a point, but because of the great gift that had been given to them. The forgiveness of sins, but like Chrysostom said, all of the other blessings that that came with that. And that revolutionized the world. I'm repeating myself, but I've said this before. Where do we think the notion that all lives are sacred comes from? It doesn't come from the pagans. 
The pagan world wasn't a place where everybody was tolerant of everybody else and everything was cool. The pagan world, that, was, that is not what the pagan world was like. But we picture it that way. Because as a culture, as a society, we can't come to grips with the terms, with the fact that the very way we're supposed to feel about our neighbor, the good that we're supposed to share our na- with our neighbor, the love that we're supposed to share with our neighbor, the value that every single human life has, doesn't come from paganism. It comes from the revolution brought on by the Christian faith. That is historically true. It takes a long time for that to happen, but it's true. If you want, I can give you resources later. If you want to look at that, come talk to me and I'll, I'll tell you where to go. <clears throat> and then we also see St. Paul, right? He talks about what he suffered for the churches. Not here, I think in 2 Corinthians, he talks about being shipwrecked and whipped and beaten and stoned, but he still did not stop and not give up. He did not stop and he did not get up, give up. He lived out what Christ enacted in his crucifixion. St. Paul lived that out in his own life, and he called us to live that out in our own life as well. And suffering, brothers and sisters, has almost a counterintuitive result of increasing endurance towards possible suffering in the future. And it's through this breaking down of the the muscle, so to speak, and its healing that makes us stronger. And if one can endure, then one can develop character. Character is the virtue of being uh, tried and tested. Have you ever met someone who has gone through some serious suffering and has come through? When confronted by some of the small absurdities of life, they're able to cut through it all and focus on what matters and drag our focus onto that. Some people may not get relief from suffering in the here and now, and some people will only find relief in the world to come in the arms of Christ. I'm thinking right now of, have you ever heard of Joni Erickson Tada? I think I'm pronouncing that right. If you don't know who she is, a wonderful Christian woman with a wonderful ministry. She was in a diving accident, a freak diving accident. She became a quadriplegic and has used her pain, used the suffering that she had. Even now, recently, she, I think she was battling breast cancer herself. Battling through all of that testifying to the good and loving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ has, been, has influenced hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, testifying of God's love and of God's goodness. And many faith healers have tried to heal her, but she's still a quadriplegic. I remember when I was in youth group, <laughs> youth group stories, all right, these are the best, right? When I was in youth group, at a, I was in a charismatic megachurch, and uh, if you, charismatic is a renewal movement where it was thought that the Holy Spirit was bringing the Pentecostal gifts for, uh, away from sort of the, the backwoods of Pentecostalism and into the mainline denominations. And so this also you know, had an influence in, in Baptist circles and other circles as well. Anyway, so I was at this mega church, right? And it was charismatic, so believed in the gifts of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians uh, 14, uh, 12, uh, 14 and 15. And so we were having a youth group meeting and these youth group meetings 
if you've never been to one of these types of worship services before, it's very different from what we're doing here. It was, you know, regular instruments, and um, it was sort of like a mini church service, but for teenagers, right? We were, we were praising God and singing and, and heard scripture, and the, the youth pastor got up and preached, and then they were playing worship music, and the worship music is sort of, it's, it's, it's designed to kind of like, you know, to just kind of lead you and guide you into this atmosphere, right, where the Holy Spirit can move, and so that's kind of what it was. You know, we're walking and praying, people are walking in the back, some people are just standing still, that kind of meaning, right? I had a friend who... <laughs> I love him so much. I wish I could find him. If, you're, if you ever listen to this, Mario, you know, hook, uh, like hit me up on Facebook. But I had a friend whose passion for God burned out just as suddenly as it sparked into flames. And he saw this girl in a wheelchair. And he believed that God had put it in his heart to pray for her that she would rise up from the wheelchair. And so he comes over to me and he says, Mike, God's telling me that he wants to heal that girl in the wheelchair over there. You know, believe God with me that that girl in the wheelchair is going to get healed. So I said, sure. So I prayed with him, and I said, you know, good luck. In my mind, I said, good luck. Maybe that's why it didn't work, because maybe my unbelief destroyed the whole thing. I don't know. So he goes, and he makes a beeline for the girl, right? Very well-intentioned. And he went and he talked to her, and then after a few minutes, he came back, and he looked dejected. So I said, hey, like, what happened? And he said, well, I told her I was going to pray for her, and God wanted to heal her, but she declined. I was like, oh, okay, why would she decline? And then he said, she told me that being in the wheelchair was something God had been able to use so she could tell her story about Jesus and about how he's been with her in her deepest pain. Suffering builds endurance, builds character, leading to what we just heard read, to hope. To hope. And brothers and sisters, that's sometimes the place where we meet Christ as well, in our deepest pain. We go in and we look at the suffering parts of us and we see him staring right back at us. Because we have to remember, brothers and sisters, that he experienced the worst suffering anyone could ever experience, and he did it for our justification, for our healing. That girl had hope in the wheelchair, even that what she had suffered, that God would transform it and use it to bring hope out of hopelessness, because God's love had been poured into her heart by the Holy Spirit. And that love, brothers and sisters, has been poured into our hearts too. As St. Augustine wrote, it is not by ourselves, but by the Holy Spirit who is given to us that this charity shown by the apostle to be God's gift is the reason why tribulation does not destroy patience, but rather gives rise to it. So we rejoice, brothers and sisters, in this that even now, that even as we may experience some degree of suffering with what we're experiencing in our world and in our country right now with the coronavirus, we know that God is with us. And we know as Christians that even as we may experience times of suffering, that Christ is with us, that Christ suffered for us and Christ suffers with us still. And when, when we encounter 
people prognosticating doom and gloom, we can say, relax. And then when we encounter people who are like, eh, this isn't a big deal, we can say, yo, it's, it's a little bit better. It's a little bit bigger than what you think, right? But regardless of what happens to us, we are called in our own suffering to share the goodness of Jesus Christ with others. And so if you have a closet full of toilet paper, find somebody and give them some, right? If you have like a closet full of Clorox wipes, leave one for me in my office after the service, please. I greatly appreciate it because they are gone. But we have to remember that in the midst of all this, like St. Paul said, that death or not, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, not even suffering. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who suffered on the cross for our sakes, who died for our justification, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be sure to check us out online, zionstoneucc.com or on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, shoot me an email at malandsman at gmail.com or through our social media page, like I just mentioned. If you could take a couple minutes, we would appreciate it if you went to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash savezionstone in order to donate towards some big repairs that we need to have done to the church. So if you could donate anything, we would greatly appreciate it. If you're in the area, come worship with us. Our services are at 1015 and our Sunday school is at 9 a.m. Thank you so much again for listening. May God bless you.